In December 1992, three kids were involved in a car accident after a night of drinking. All three survived the single car crash, but two disappeared before police could arrive. Now, they didn't simply run away to avoid DUI charges. They vanished. Sort of. They were found, three months later, dead, but not 75 feet from the scene of the accident. In a case that has about 15 questions for every answer, we look into the bizarre disappearance of Arnold Archambault and Ruby Brueger. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Killing Miss and Hidden, the weekly podcast about bad things that isn't always weekly. Yeah, I'm sorry for leaving everyone hanging last week, but you know, life and stuff sometimes gets in the way and you just have to deal with it. My name is Brad and I'm your perfectly adequate host. In case you haven't heard me ramble on before, I spent nearly a decade doing the whole criminal lawyering thing. So I like to think I can add a little extra spice to some of our discussions. But not in today's episode, I'm afraid. No, this one makes no sense. I hate it, but it, but it's really interesting too. And sort of mind-blowing in a way. It's, you know, the deeper you dig, the tougher it gets to understand. I really hope some of y'all out there have like a rock-solid theory about what happened here because... I just get twisted in knots trying to figure this mess out. Okay, I know we all agree, like, podcasts that ramble at the opening, they're not our thing, right? But I am going to ramble a little bit. Uh, there's a documentary out about the infamous Dog Man, you know, that kind of famous cryptid. And it's out on YouTube right now, and the guy that's talking to you is one of the people interviewed for it. So... It's called The Dogman Tales. It's all over YouTube. Well, it's on YouTube. I don't know how to be all over YouTube. So go check it out. If I get famous from it, I promise, you know, we'll have a giant pizza party to celebrate. As many, we'll do many pizza bagels. And you can have as much as you want. Just not more than four. Um, but okay, enough with my jammering. On to this week's mystery. So our story takes place in a car. Arnold Archambault, who is 20, was driving. His 19-year-old girlfriend, Ruby Brueger, was sitting in the passenger seat. And Ruby's cousin, 17-year-old Tracy Dion, was in the back seat. The car was stopped at what's described as a remote intersection in Lake Andes, South Dakota. This was on December 12th, 1992. It was pretty late at night. Uh, some reports put this like after six in the morning. So maybe it's more fair to say pretty early in the day. Uh, and all three had spent the night drinking. So I imagine they were pretty heavily intoxicated at this point. They were alone at this intersection. No other cars could be seen. When Arnold began to drive through, and he suddenly lost control. The car spun several times before crashing into a ditch upside down that was located between the road and some railroad tracks. Arnold and 
Ruby both got out of the car. There's there's differing reports on Arnold. Some say he was thrown from the vehicle. Others say he kicked his door open. Ruby's door was kind of ajar, and she was able to squeeze through to get out. But Tracy was stuck in the back seat, and she began yelling for help, but both her cousin and her cousin's boyfriend ignored her. In fact, both of them made a point to close their doors almost as if they were intentionally ignoring Tracy. Eventually, after what must have felt like decades for poor Tracy, trapped in this bitter cold, you know, in an upside-down car, help arrived. Police came upon the scene, helped Tracy out of the vehicle. She told them what happened, and they immediately started a search for Arnold and Ruby. It was daybreak, but it was, like, freezing. I mean, the car had actually set on top of a frozen patch of water in the ditch. According to almanac.com, it would have been around 26 degrees Fahrenheit or negative three Celsius around daybreak. And you know, South Dakota isn't known for its tropical climates during the winter. So there's little doubt there would have been lots of patches of ice around these parts. Obviously we have one here that's strong enough to hold up a car for seemingly hours. But, you know, police were scared that Arnold and Ruby, if they wandered off, they may have suffered a head injury. Coupled with their drunkenness, they could have easily stumbled into some water that wasn't as thick as what was in the ditch and wouldn't have supported them. So instantly, they formed a a de facto search team to go out and start looking. And, you know, again, the police weren't thinking anything weird here. They just assumed these kids were drinking. They got scared because they crashed and they ran off so they wouldn't get in trouble, which is pretty common. But the general consensus, even among family, was that, you know, Arnold and Ruby, yeah, they they disappeared, but we'll see them in a day or two. You know, they'll, they'll pop back on the scene. Now, there are a few family members who said this idea of them running away just wasn't plausible. Even if they had kind of made a bad decision in the moment, these family members believe that one of them, most certainly Ruby, would have called home just to let them know that she was okay and to check in on things. But this this never occurred. Likewise, on the police search, it wasn't going well. Um, The team was headed by Deputy Bill Youngstrom, and he led a search group out to this area virtually every day for three months. But they never found so much as a footprint during their searches. And they didn't, you know, do this in a haphazard fashion. It It was planned. It was very deliberate, very routine. They slowly worked their way, you know, from the scene of the accident out and they took particular care to search all bodies of water whether they were liquid or frozen solid ice by march the spring thaw was starting to creep into the area and nothing had been found i mean absolutely nothing until deputy youngstrom received a distressing phone call this was on march 10th 1993 somebody reported a body in their search zone so, of course, the deputy rushes out to the location where it was the body was reported, and he finds Ruby dead. She was found sitting 
at the edge of a ditch, partially submerged in water. Now, she was wearing the same clothes that she was wearing the night she went missing, but her body was badly, badly decomposed. Now, like, the only way they really could identify her was through her clothes and through a tattoo on her leg. Her glasses were missing, her shoes were missing, and, you know, she's half submerged. So Deputy Youngstrom immediately calls for a crew to come out there and to start pumping the ditch dry because he's certain if Ruby's here, then we're going to find Arnold. And the next day around noon, when most of the water had been pumped out of the ditch, sure enough, they found Arnold's body. It was about 15 feet or four and a half meters from where Ruby had been sitting. Now, one stark contrast in Arnold versus Ruby is Arnold was in shockingly good condition considering how long he had been out there. Law enforcement even received, you know, that they, they had talked to the family and the friends the night that Arnold went missing, and they had conflicting reports over what he was wearing when he went out. And so they couldn't confirm that the clothes he was found in were the clothes he was wearing when he went missing. Now, both bodies, of course, were taken in to be autopsied, and it was concluded that Arnold and Ruby had died of exposure, but no time of death could be determined because of the condition of the bodies. But Deputy Youngstrom immediately refuted this body and said, no, no, that's, that's just not possible. I mean, first of all, he noted how often that particular area had been searched by his team. Again, the bodies were found only 75 feet, roughly 23 meters, from the scene of the accident. And he knew that particular ditch had been searched not only by himself, but by others. And if Ruby really was sitting up as she was found, then certainly they would have seen her. She would have been very easy to find. In fact, the person who called in the report about seeing the body was someone who was just driving along the road. They weren't out there hiking or moving slow. I mean, they were moving at a decent speed, I assume, and they could identify that body was sitting up. So you would think law enforcement out there combing the woods would find her pretty easily. The second strange thing that Deputy Youngstrom argued was that neither body was frozen to the ground. Now, I don't know exactly at what temperature that would occur, but I did find that if you take a T-shirt and take it outside, a wet T-shirt, take it outside, it will turn into basically a plank of wood in about eight minutes at negative 12 degrees Fahrenheit or negative 24 degrees Celsius. Now, obviously, the time of the disappearance versus the time of being found, we aren't dealing with those sorts of temperatures. But I kind of poked around at what the temperatures were between these dates, and it got dang cold. It, it definitely got below 12 degrees Fahrenheit some nights. So Deputy Youngstrom was, you know, he was convinced that the clothing should have been frozen to the ground. Again, I can't find any information about when that occurs specifically. Another strange fact is the day that Ruby was found. Police again sweep the area and they find on the shoulder of the road literally right where the accident happened, 
a significant tuft of Ruby's hair. It was frozen to the side of the road. And again, Deputy Youngstrom saying, we couldn't have missed this. We were all over this place. This, some, you know, this isn't a strand of hair. <laughs> this is a, something that fits in the size of your palm. It is a noticeable amount of hair. And we're out there every day for nearly three months and none of us see it. That's just not possible. Now, Deputy Youngstrom is fine with the idea that these kids died of exposure, but he's adamant that these kids did not die where their bodies were found. Of course, of course, we could easily just write this off as a cop who worked really hard at an assignment and just didn't get it right. But we've got a few pieces of evidence that really back up his claim that this doesn't make sense. One small fact is that no car keys were found in the vehicle or on Ruby's body. Now, car keys were found on Arnold's body, but not to his car. In fact, neither the car key nor the two house keys found in his pockets belonged to anything that he had access to. And police have kind of randomly tried these keys on cars and houses and have never found what these keys unlock. So, how did Arnold lose his keys and end up with another seemingly random set of keys if he stumbled into the woods and died the night of the accident? Not sold? Okay, let's try this one on for size. Arnold was reportedly seen by multiple people attending a New Year's Eve party. Okay, the accident was on December 12th. This would have been three weeks later. One of the people at the party was so adamant, she even said, give me a polygraph test right now. I'll take it. I'll pass it. So they did, and she passed. Now, again, the warning I always have to give with polygraph, you know, they're a tool of exclusion. And even then, it relies a lot on what the person taking the test believes. To quote, our best buddy, George Costanza, it's not a lie if you believe it's the truth. But, you know, this, was a, this witness was a friend of Arnold's, and so you wouldn't expect her to get this one wrong. And it's also worth noting that the woman identified two other people who arrived and left with Arnold from the party. Those two people were found, and they too were given polygraphs, they said during their tests that they hadn't seen Arnold, they didn't know where he was, they weren't with him that night, and both failed. Another weirdo fact. Arnold and Ruby were a little more than boyfriend and girlfriend. They had a daughter together and had started a life together. They weren't married yet, but they had moved into a place, they had started playing house, and they were doing the best they could to make it on their own. The daughter the night of this accident was with Tracy's father, the cousin. And they actually went to go pick up their daughter before they drove home. And Tracy's dad saw that they were, you know, kind of hammered. And he said, look, y'all have had a long night. Y'all go home, get some rest, and then come pick her up, you know, after you've gotten a little bit of shut eye. I'll watch her until then. It's not a problem. So, you know... They have a pretty compelling reason not to go into hiding. They've got a baby. Like, 
a baby that's still breastfeeding type of baby. And let me throw this one on the pile too. At least five other people gave formal statements to the police claiming to have seen either Arnold or Ruby after the accident. One woman claims that she saw the pair getting into a car and heading away from the overturned car the morning of the accident. Another woman claimed to have seen Ruby on January 20th in a small town about 20 minutes west of the accident scene. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is all we have to work with in this case. But let's break this down so we make sure we can squeeze all the awesome weirdness we can from this one, okay? So first, we gotta start at the beginning. How on earth did this accident occur? No other cars were involved. That's according to both Tracy and police reports and police investigations. According to Tracy, the the vehicle literally went from a dead stop at the stop sign to being upside down and spinning before they made it through the intersection. She, like I said, she said there was no crash. There, there was no sound of being hit, no impact force. Yet we have stories that the force of the crash was strong enough to completely eject Arnold from the car, which makes no sense. I mean, I, I couldn't confirm what type of car they were driving, but I'm willing to bet pretty good money it wasn't a Porsche or a Ferrari, you know? So how do you flip a car that quickly? Next, you have a car accident with your cousin in the back seat and the freezing cold and you just walk away? You ignore her cries from help? You just leave? What, what compels someone to do this to a seemingly close family member. Head trauma? Were they drunk? And it also generally begs the question of why leave the scene at all? I mean, yes, one answer like we've alluded to could be to avoid a DUI or DWI charge, whatever they have in South Dakota. But you know, Ruby wasn't driving, so she really wasn't under any threat of arrest. And I guess you can always fall back on the alcohol plus headed trauma argument. But, you know, we get at least one report of the pair getting into another car right there at the scene of the accident, which raises the specter that their brain was operating on some level. You know, they weren't totally delusional. They weren't acting like zombies. And regardless of the circumstances, how does neither one of them attempt to return to the baby? I mean, I just can't imagine a mother who's breastfeeding would have any excuse in the world not to get back to her child. We have some evidence that Ruby lived through the night. Certainly, you can question how credible that evidence is. But there's at least something there saying she didn't die, you know, immediately or within a few dozen steps of the car accident. So why is she not headed towards her child? And then on top of this, our next question has to be, why were police not able to find any trace of Arnold and Ruby when they were found ultimately so close to the accident scene? Now, if we want to go with the head trauma and alcohol theory, to me, 
the police will have had an easier time finding some evidence of them. You certainly, I mean, you know, how drunk people walk and they kind of drag their toes and kick up more snow than you would expect. So I would think there would be a lot of evidence on the ground if they were walking away from the vehicle. And, you know, we've got this deputy who just swears up and down. That ditch was searched, and it was searched multiple times. And, and he went to the trouble of getting multiple affidavits from people who are on the search team who said, yes, I saw Deputy Youngstrom search that ditch, and I searched that ditch as well, and there was nothing in there. Now, of course, we don't know how muddy the water was that was frozen. You know, maybe you couldn't see down in it, but... Daggum, if you're showing up hours after the accident, even in that cold weather, I don't know. And again, I'm speaking out of turn here because I ain't a scientist. I don't know that it would freeze back that quickly. And when you add in the fact that Ruby's found sitting up in the ditch, that's even more perplexing. I mean, we can fantasize about a scenario where She's in the ditch, lying down, frozen, and then as everything unthaws, she kind of floats to the edge, gets wedged in there. But how does she get wedged up so that she's seated? And seated high enough that another passing motorist can clearly see a dead body is sitting in a ditch as she drives by the intersection. It it just doesn't make any sense to me that so many cops miss something that a random motorist catches on her way to work. That doesn't add up to me. Now, how should we interpret the claim that Arnold was seen at a party three weeks later? Now, we have the one girl who took the polygraph test, but she was not the only one who said, I saw Arnold. There were multiple other people, and these were all people who claimed to be Arnold's friends. And what reason would they have to lie? Now, understand, Arnold was a very popular kid. He was actually prom king his senior year of high school. So, you know, when they say we all saw Arnold, you tend to think that if your buddies with somebody and that person was really popular in high school and this party is literally occurring like six months after high school ended, and multiple people are saying, hey, did you see Arnold's here? You're going to know. I mean, you're going to look at him and say, yeah, that's Arnold, or no, what are you talking about? How drunk are you? I mean, the odds of a misidentification to me in that scenario are pretty small. That's kind of the best summary of the weirdness I can give you here. As you can tell, like this is a pretty messed up story and it was so unusual and weird that it was featured on unsolved mysteries something really strange happened in those woods that night you know i'm with the deputy i don't believe arnold and ruby died the same night as their car accident and i don't believe they died in those woods but reaching this conclusion raises a question that has no logical answer Who would have done it? There's no known history of the couple having problems with anybody. 
There's no reports of problems in the relationship. So, you know, that kind of makes me jump to it was a crime of opportunity. It was a random act of violence. But who the heck is hanging out in the woods at six in the morning when it's so dang cold, just hoping they stumble across somebody drunk enough they can kill? That seems impossible. I mean, even if they just gathered them up to, you know, kill them later, why are they there to begin with? This is not where you would go to hunt for prey if you're some sort of psychopath, you know? Was Ruby killed first and then Arnold was allowed to live until he did something stupid? Is that why we have the differing rates of decomposition? I mean, maybe Arnold being frozen underwater and Ruby only being half submerged is the reason why they decomposed at different rates. But I don't think you can get Ruby into that ditch until the ice is thawed, which makes me think she hadn't been in that location very long. Certainly could have been outside somewhere else. And, you know, again, all of this is occurring without any evidence of like a car forcing Arnold off the road and upside down. That would be an explanation that makes sense, but we're lacking that. It's just, we have to accept that this killer had two victims just fall into his lap. And then at some point return to the scene to dispose of the bodies. And along the way, at some point, we lost Ruby's shoes, we lost her glasses, and we're going to give Arnold the wrong car keys? It's just weird. It's weird. None of this adds up. I can't, you know, when you do a puzzle, you always try to get the corners and the outside pieces put together, right? I can't get that far with this one. This one's just weird. I don't like this case. It makes me feel stupid. I'm missing something, but I don't know what. So that's why I'm hoping y'all see some big loose thread that I'm missing to help me explain this case. Because right now, and I've said this before, I know, but right now you could come to me and say Bigfoot did it. And I couldn't argue with you because that would make as much sense as anything else that's going on here. It's maddening. All right, that's it. That's, that's all I've really got to, to go on here. Um, no shocker here, but the case remains unsolved to this day. They don't really have any leads. It's definitely a cold case now, either officially or just kind of by definition. You know, this, the poor baby they had has literally grown up her entire life without her mom or dad. And as I've preached before, it just seems unfair for a child to grow up in those circumstances. It's awful. I really wish someone had some answers to it. This case also seems to have that missing 411 flavor to it, you know? You've got the strange behavior, the missing shoes, the unexplainable cause of death, bodies being found in areas that were searched multiple times. Just very, very strange. But like I pleaded earlier, if you've got any theories, please share them. Come to our Facebook group and post them. Share them with me on Instagram. Email me. Our email is info at kmhpodcast.com. Uh, any theories that make sense, I would love to hear. And if we get enough of them, we'll do a follow-up episode. Palette cleanser for the week. And this one's straight from the uh, mind of Mr. Eli. It's one of his better ones. So I'm very proud of my son. He gets to eat dinner this week. 
Why did the M&Ms go to school? Why did those delicious chocolate candies go to school? Because they wanted to become smarties. Huh? Nice, simple, wholesome joke. Nothing weird like I've been presenting. Nothing over the line. Just, just a good, clean joke. Everyone can enjoy. All right. Well, I'm not going to drag this out any longer than I need to. We're putting a bow on this one. Remember, please, to check out your handsome host who is appearing in the Dogman Tales documentary that you can find on YouTube. Just search Dogman Tales. Maybe throw cryptid in there. It's like the third result that comes up, at least on my browser. Um, and, you know, if you've got a life and better things to do, then you just keep being safe, smart, and sexy. All right? Love you guys. Thanks for tuning in. Brad out. You survived another episode of Killing Missing Hidden, the podcast about bad things. Join us next time for another true and thrilling story.